1: Welcome everybody to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. With me today is a gentleman who I believe is the only person associated with German football not to get a coaching move this summer. It's Manuel Veit. Hello Manuel. Great to have you back on the show.
2: Hey, Tyler, how is it going? And I, I cannot at the present confirm that I have a coaching move happening or not. See, the, I'm
1: I'm I'm kind of actually inclined to believe you now based on how many people seem to be moving midseason. I'm assuming there'll be more once the season is actually finished. So I won't be surprised if you do end up with some sort of assistant role somewhere in the Bundesliga, although I do hope you keep your present occupation uh, because you're very good at it. And I enjoy talking to you about German football. If you become a coach, I think you're going to be more cagey. You're not going to give me the straight truth anymore. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I would have to be all off the record.
1: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Nobody needs that. We need you on record to talk about everything happening in the Bundesliga and with the German national team, which is what we're going to talk about today. We will get to some Americans abroad, some possible transfer news. We'll do that w- with that later in the show, because right now I want to start with the recent, I'm going to call it German managerial merry-go-round. We're going to take it step by step. Let's start with the national team. Yogi lo announced he'd be stepping down from managing the German national team after the Euros. It seems like that announcement happened years ago, but it was actually in March, which I did not realize. Uh, what are your expectations for the remainder of his tenure? Because I was thinking this was a sign that things were not going well, that it was sort of since the uh, the last World Cup that things haven't really improved. And here we are. They're just kind of letting him see, him, see it out. Uh, but there is the kind of counter argument that this gives him the freedom to just do what he wants because they can't fire him. They're not going to fire him. So why not go out? Managing the team exactly how you want to.
2: Yeah, it does. Is it only been March? Yeah, oh, man, it right. So <laughs> um, it feels like a long time it ago. Really it really does. It 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 kind of, um, you know, triggered this avalanche of yeah. a whole bunch of events that got us to all. Oh, because I don't think the merry-go-round is finished. But um, let's deal with the things that we kind of you know the national team let's deal mm-hmm. with that first maybe and um you you raise some very important questions about Joachim Löw and what's going to happen with the German national team I think today UEFA announced that um teams are allowed to nominate 26 rather than 23 players right mm-hmm. that that should give him uh, a lot more freedom um it also you know give, gives him the opportunity to put together a team for his last ever tournament and it is his last ever tournament. I think he has realized he's come to the end of the road with what he can give to this team, what he can give to this country. Maybe a lot of people would say the stepping down came a little bit too late. Um, I think so. Maybe he, I think he should have stepped down after 2018, the world cup. Right. Um, but this gives him sort of a, a chance of redemption and it gives him a chance to negate some of the decisions he's made prior. Right. the, the fact that he basically told Mats Hummels, Jerome Boateng and Thomas Müller that they no longer needed in the national team now that he um, is not focused on rebuilding anymore but just focused on winning one last trophy i think he can basically negate that decision and bring those players back if he wishes to and i think with a 26 player a squad I, i'm pretty sure he he will bring them back and um Yeah, I think that's where we are at right now. I think we are very much at the stage where Joachim Löw is saying, okay, look, I have one last chance of underlining the fact that I'm not the guy who had the worst ever World Cup performance of a German national team in history, a long history, by the way, but I'm the guy who brought home a World Cup and a European championship. I think we're all going to overlook that little hiccup in Russia, if that's the case. But yeah, this this tournament is very much about his legacy. And so with the expanded squad size, he could bring
1: back some of those players, as you mentioned, Homels, Boteng and Muller. Do you think there's any bad blood there? Do you think there's any kind of lasting frustration from those players that they were sort of iced out from the national team? Do you expect them to be hesitant about accepting a call-up, or do you think they'd come right back in and everything would be happy and fine?
2: It's a good question. I think that Thomas Muller in particular will come back and he would be very happy to come back. I think he's always been very dedicated to the German national team. And I think with Löw now gone, he'll play a role going forward as well. And when you look at the season that he's had, understandably so, because he's probably still the, one of the best, maybe the best number 10s in the world, right? So I think that yep. um he's very much dedicated to coming back. Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng, um you know, Mats Hummels, I think, too... Uh, Jerome Boateng, I'm going to see whether he's actually going to come back or not. But um, it's an interesting point whether they're actually going to be fully on board with it. I think what you're going to see is that they probably want to prove him wrong about them getting kicked out of the national team, about them being the very people that he identified as having to be gone from the national team. And I think maybe there is something there that I mean, Thomas Müller, we all know what happens to Thomas Müller when he's on fire and when he wants to prove people wrong. Um, he's, he's an excellent player still. He's someone who contributes a lot. And I think that he, he on his own will add quite significantly to this team.
1: What do you think Lowe's plan A for this summer looks like right now, both in terms of style of play, the tactics, and also the personnel? Who are those players that you think are sort of instrumental to his team that would be there even if there weren't expanded squad sizes, even if this weren't his final tournament? Who would be those players, and what do you think this team looks like if they're playing their preferred style of play?
2: That's a very interesting question as well. I wonder if he's going to go back to maybe a more possession-based kind of style rather than trying, you know, go back to what he's used to rather than trying to redevelop this team, which is what he's done. That's that's going to be interesting to see. I mean he's banged quite a lot on Tony Gross, which I personally think is a mistake because Tony Gross, and we saw that yesterday um in the Champions League semifinal between Chelsea and Real Madrid, it's very much a style that slows games down rather than speed them up, right? I mean, Real Madrid had so much possession yesterday and they, they couldn't really get the ball into the right spaces. And every time Chelsea got the ball, they quickly turned over and were very dangerous. And um Thomas Tuchel, of course, a German coach, I think is going to be maybe very much, very much presented Lille with the idea of style of football that... Germany could play and it kind of also feeds into what Bayern have done right with a very high line and a very quick transition game. Um so I wonder if Toni Kroos who's always been a key player for Joachim Löw is if he still is going to be a key player going forward and you know and in his stead you have you have guys like Leon Goretzka, Joshua Kimmich, uh, Kai Havertz who I thought was excellent yesterday as well. Um Thomas Müller when he comes back I, I think is going to be very important. Um Serge Gnabry as well. Um, very important player as well, Leroy Sané. I think there is, there is quite a lot of players to choose from, but I think that I think he's, it's going to be a return to four on the back, but with a very high line, just like Bayern have played and very successfully played in in last year's Champions League campaign, um, with an emphasis on on getting athletic players into midfield rather than having someone like Kross in midfield, who who tends to slow things down a little bit.
1: And for Low, like. He starts with the German national team what the 2006 World Cup as an assistant for Klinsmann. He's been there so long that it's really hard for me to imagine not just Germany under an, another coach, but also what happens next. And so earlier when you said uh, this could be his final tournament ever, last ever tournament, I'm assuming you were talking about with Germany. But simultaneously, it also feels like I have no idea what he does next. If he tries another national team gig, if he goes the club route, if he just retires and becomes an analyst, I don't really know what to expect. I'm wondering if you have thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, I think he might seek a club role somewhere. Um, there's some positions that could become available in Germany or elsewhere. Um, I, th- I think we've all kept eye on what's happening in Germany. There's there's a lot going on right now, but I think he could. I think he's eyeing um, a club role. But it's it's an interesting point that you raise. I mean, he's been now part of the German national team um, setup since 2004, and there's been a lot of talk in Germany about a change and not i mean the bundestrainer is the second most important position in germany period right behind the bundeskanzler the chancellery mm-hmm. and it's kind of an interesting metaphor that both those eras are yep. ending this year merkel merkel stepping down and there is a high chance that there is going to be a change of power with you know the green party is having a resurgence in Germany and is is slated to get the second most or, or maybe the most votes, which means we could have, for the first time ever, a major country in the world governed by a Green Party. Um, we're going to have a change, and change in, the, in the head coach role as well. And there's always been kind of a weird errors have always been defined in Germany by the parallels of the German chancellor and the German national team coach. I don't know why that is. It's a really bizarre thing that you don't see in many other countries and um it's interesting that that era is coming to a close and a new era is starting um at this at this at this point in time and of course it's also we're we're, getting, we're hopefully going to see the end of covid so that they start happening as well it's it's just an interesting thing right that this is an end of an era right now in, in german football and german politics and it's going to be interesting to see how joachim löw who is very much a face of that of a bygone era now right is going to take that and redefine himself in what will be a new Germany or in, in, a new world, actually, because like, it's not just in Germany, which things are going to change dramatically. It's all over the world. So I don't know. It's It's an interesting one because it's a very hard transition to go from a national team role to being the head coach of a club.
1: But if he is going to a club in the Bundesliga, looking at the positions that ha- have already been filled, so should we just pencil him in for the Hertha Berlin job, or what do you expect to happen there?
2: Oh boy, that's an interesting question. Um, I think I'm Löf four do... for
1: five on interesting questions today from you. So I, I will <laughs> take that. I want to keep that record going.
2: It's Freddy Bobic and Joachim Löw working together at Hertha Berlin. Um, you know, Hertha is one of those few clubs. I mean, they're playing right now and they're winning the game against Freiburg and they're very much pulling themselves out of what is, was a very difficult situation because they were in quarantine for two weeks. Right. And having to um, navigate a very difficult schedule um, towards the end of the season of um, trying to stay in the league. Joachim Löw going to Hertha Berlin. No, That's an interesting, interesting one that I haven't really thought of. Um, <laughs> it's been hard enough keeping track of the coaching changes that we had. Yep. And I haven't really thought about Hertha yet, at this stage yet, but Freddy Bobic and Joachim Löw uh, doesn't sound crazy. <laughs> that's that's that's
1: always a good endorsement for my idea. It doesn't sound like the worst idea. I'll take that. Um, it does not sound like the worst idea for Hansi Flick to take over the national team. I don't really want to get into what uh, his tenure will look like there because we still have Yogi Lowe in charge. We still have Hansi Flick in charge of Bayern Munich for... The short uh, remaining future, Uh, but I do want to talk about Flick with Bayern Munich and what's happened there because I think to to the outside, I'll speak as an outsider. It seemed like that's a place where he would want to be for a very long time. It is Bayern Munich, obviously. They have the reputation they have, but also for a relatively unheralded manager to have been given that appointment and then to have succeeded there, it seemed to me like he would be there for as long as he wanted to be. And maybe that's the key here: is that it seems like he doesn't really want to be there anymore. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, I think that's very fair to say. I think Hansi Flick is a man of his principles and he's a very quiet personality and we think he's spoken in the past on this show that um, Bayern Munich has always been more about the players rather than the head coach, right? And the head coach has always been sort of in the background and and navigating things, which I mean, will will make things interesting once Nagelsmann is there. I'm sure we get to talk (laughs) about that in a moment. But, um, I think that hansi flick's personality was was actually quite well suited for the club, but um you should not mistake in quiet demeanor and sort of trying to work in the background with being a pushover and Hansi Flick very much so had his disagreements with um director of sport Hassan Sali those disagreements, I mean, that's not a secret. I mean, it's been all over the media and there's been all sorts of things reported about it, and um, I mean, you're not giving away state secrets here by saying that that relationship was very much strained. And I think that Hassan and Hansi were just a couple that did not quite work out, and Hansi, Hansi Flick did not, or the nice Mr. Hansi, or Nette Herr Hansi, as they say in German, did not get what he necessarily wanted, and I think Flick was very much disappointed so that after a very successful 2019-20 campaign where he single-handedly transformed this club into, you know, one of the only three teams in the history of the world to win every single trophy there is, right? Um, oh, sorry, one of the only two because the only other two is Barca See if City can do the same thing this year. Or oh, I think they can't because they lost in the FA Cup, right? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, one of two teams only. Um, and he did it in such a short period of time. And then Thiago was sold to Liverpool. Kautinu's contract was not renewed. Even Pere- it wasn't kept. And then there was questionable transfers like Douglas Costa signed on loan. Buna Sa brought in a player who was definitely not up to Bayern Munich standards. And, um, transfers that Flick wanted were not, um, brought in, in, in to Bayern Munich and um, you know, there was a list that was released by build the other day where they said, well, this is the reason why Hansi Flick didn't get his transfers. And there was a bunch of names on there like Max Meyer and Götze, and um, you know, it's it, all nonsense. Like those were not the players that Hansi Flick wanted. <laughs> that's just that, that's, that's a, a disinformation campaign. That's someone at Bayern Munich is um, conducting there. Uh, I think we can all kind of figure out who, but, You know, there was such a disagreement and I think he's a man of principle and I think he would have maybe saw it through because he had the support of the majority of the board at Bayern Munich. But when Joachim Löw retires, I would say says he's going to step back from the national team, um, make top that triggers the avalanche, right? That's in a matter of two months, cost all these coaching changes. There is, and I alluded to this, there's two positions in Germany that are above everything else, and that's the chancellery and that's the the Bundestrainer job. Um, They are very important positions, and Bayern Munich are a very big club. They're a very important club. They are a recognized institution around the world, And, and I think when you look in from the outside, you would say that's the most important job that you can have in German football. I would say that's not true. I think the German national team job is actually more important and it's a prestigious role and it's a prestigious role where you can be in charge and you can make the player selection. You don't have anyone telling you what to do. You call up the 22 to 26 guys that you want to call up, right? And I think Flick saw this and said, well, I don't have to deal with this buy and board anymore. I don't want to deal with Hassan. I don't want to deal with that nonsense. I can just go to the DFB, take that job become a World Cup winner, win the European Championships. I've already won everything there is to win with Bayern. You know, why would I bother? And I think that's what happened there.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to mikelobultra dot
1: slash courtside to learn more. Why do you think there was such a difference between the players Hansi Flick wanted at Bayern and the players players Hansi Flick got at Bayern Munich? Because. They seem like a team that is, is never going to be hurting that much for money. Obviously, COVID has impacted everything. But we see what they've already spent with Opamakano. We'll talk about Nagelsmann and the fee they paid there. So there's obviously money to be spent. I then wonder why that money wasn't spent on players that Hansi Flick would have liked and enjoyed and maybe would have kept him a little bit happier.
2: Yeah, you talk about, I mean, we're talking Timo Werner here, right? That's a player he wanted. Kai Havertz is another player. He wanted um, two players, incidentally, that are now in the Champions League final. And incidentally, yeah, <laughs> incidentally, I mean, and Timo Werner, he's getting a lot of criticism. There's a, there's a lot of funny stats out there that all the videos of him missing goals. Fact is, he's the first player since Eden Hazard who has double digit assists and goals for Chelsea, right, in a single season. So there's that. Um, he's by with all the mistakes he's made, he's still doing quite well. And at some point, I think Timo Werner is, is going to revert to his basic goal scoring because it happens with strikers right they hit hit that hit us hit a stretch where they don't score a lot and then all of a sudden becomes like a catch-up ball and it's a lot and I think he will get 20-25 goals next year in, in England and um you know Hassan can maybe point at him now and say like look it's not working out for him in Chelsea which is a not quite true and b is in my opinion just uh Mostly due to the former head coach that was in charge of Chelsea, right? So there's one player right here. Kai Havertz didn't have a good start at Chelsea either. So there was a lot of arguments that Flick, oh, he wanted Havertz. Look, he didn't quite work out at, at Chelsea. Havertz had COVID and, and had long COVID afterwards, right? He's only just now recovering from that. So, and yesterday was phenomenal. So I think that there's two players right there that um, Hassan didn't want for whatever reason. Um, probably out of principle, maybe because they cost too much money. Um, but that was that was two deals right there. And I, I know the timo Werner transfer was agreed on. Um, not la- last summer, the summer before. That was all agreed on. The deal was basically negotiated and signed, and everything was signed off, and then um Hassan didn't want the deal, and it fell through, right? And that's I can say that now because it's like Two years ago, but that that was a well-known fact among many journalists in Germany. And um, for whatever reason, Hassan didn't rate Timo Werner and uh, Flick didn't like that. And I think Flick very much feels now that he was probably right in wanting those players at Bayern Munich rather than someone like Douglas Costa, who we haven't really seen much of, right? It's it's an odd one, really, because I don't quite understand it either. Um, in, in some regards, I don't understand the... the player identification and the player signing processes that sometimes happen at Bayern Munich. I mean um there's a lot of pointing towards the fact that Hasan Salihamidzic signed Alfonso Davies. But you know, you and I could have signed Alfonso Davies and it would have worked out. <laughs> You probably could have.
1: I, I, I think I would have like tried to play him as just an attacker the whole time and left back never would have occurred to me. So may, maybe I'm not that good at the talent evaluation, but I am good at saying that Bayern Munich are very good at pretty much everything they do. I don't think that's a very novel uh, thing to say. I think of Bayern Munich as this sort of gigantic tanker ship that though it might have little like issues with mechanics and maybe a light bulb goes out overall, they're going to kind of continue on the path they've been on. Again, that is my sort of outsider perspective on things. For you, who obviously knows much more about Bayern Munich, how chaotic are things behind the scenes? How, how bad is the engine room on board that ship? Are there issues that still need to be sorted, even with Nagelsmann coming in?
2: Yeah, I do think so. I mean, um, it is a tanker ship, and it it, goes, it does go on its course. But every, every once in a while, you know, it takes a lot of wrong turn and gets stuck in that channel. <laughs> um, had well to bring, done. had to bring up... Way I to continue the care. analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean look I do think that if Robert Lewandowski was fit for those two games against PSG they they've probably been the final now um and that's no offense to Manchester City but I, I watched those two games against PSG and and I think Lewandowski has a field day against both those defensive back lines. what happens then in the final is a different question right but um it's very hard to criticize Bayern for what they do because they were really just one... Oh, sorry, in two-injured because Serge Gnabry was under in quarantine as well. So there's two of your most important forwards missing and the XG numbers against PSG were insane. I mean, that game would have been... We would have had a Barcelona score if those two players had been fit, right? But that happens. I mean, that's... That happens. That's that's the beauty of the champion League. And it's the beauty of elimination that sometimes the best teams don't make the final. You know, we can maybe jig in the draws and try all sorts of things to guarantee that the two best teams play each other in the final. But that's just not the reality of it. So that happens. Um, in that instance, the Bayern Munich tanker got stuck in the <laughs> Suez Canal. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting question because they do things right. And I do think that there is a lot of people that really know stuff about football, and that can be good. Can be good and bad. And we had a stretch of of a few weeks where we saw really both things happening at the same time, because you had the whole situation with Hansi Flick, right, and the controversy on the boardroom and the discussions about his future and very controversial discussions on how the squad was put together, and maybe there was a player missing that if Lewandowski was out, we could still beat PSG. But on the other hand, in the same very much stretch of time, Bayern Munich also stood up to the Super League. So it's it's really hard criticizing the board. I think what happens there, there's a lot of controversial discussion. This is the largest membership club in the world, right? Um, And that means a lot of discussions in and controversial discussions that are happening at the club are being brought into the public. That's just, I think, a reality of the setup. So we see this almost chaotic club and all this chaos that's happening there. But the reality is, I think, that a lot of this kind of stuff happens at other clubs as well. But we don't see it quite the same way, which is boring if you are a fan of one of those other clubs. It's great if you're a fan of Bayern because it fills the newspapers, right? And it's, it's a wonderful thing. But I think actually what happens at Bayern is quite normal, but it's maybe a bit more public.
1: And in terms of it being public, so too was their uh, courting of Julian Nagelsmann. I think it was the first time they were after him and maybe the second time, but on the third chance they do end up bringing him in. To me, that seemed like Bayern getting their man, not really worrying about the massive cost associated with it. I was reading a piece by Raphael Honigstein, and he seemed to think that it was more of a panic move by Bayern Munich because they wanted to show that they are still Bayern Munich. Maybe panic is the wrong way to phrase it, but sort of a we've got to get a big name and it doesn't really matter what the cost is because we've got to show that we still have this significance, this power, this ability to bring in the best and the brightest. Where are you on that divide? Uh, or if that one's maybe a bit much, then more simply, what do you think about the fee they had to pay to get Nagelsmann to Bavaria? Because it's uh, it's fairly high.
2: It's very high. Um, 20 million plus 5 million in bonuses. It's a, it's a lot of like cash. That. I would enjoy it's, that amount of money. I, I would love that. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this anymore. I'd be sitting somewhere on a beach. Um, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a lot of money. And it... it, it I don't know if it was a power move. I think it's, there's a lot of nuance here, right? I mean, Nagelsmann wanted to come home. Um, We have to remember that Nagelsmann, Julian Nagelsmann, is from Landsberg am Lech, those who are not familiar with the geography of Munich or or upper Bavaria. um, That's very close, close to Munich. It's a drive away, a 45 minute drive to the Allianz Arena, so it's close, right? Played for 1860s youth setup, Bayern Munich, close your ears now, but he's an 1860 boy, um, where he then got injured and his career pretty much ended prematurely and he went into coaching instead. But I think that he wanted to come home. Um, I think there was always a sense that if there is an opportunity for him to go to Bayern Munich, he would take it because he would be able to work and live close to his family. That's a human aspect that we can't underestimate, right? Right. I think that there was that agreement between Leipzig and Nagelsmann that when the opportunity arises and Bayern Munich pay a significant fee that they would allow him to leave. Um, Leipzig, on the other hand, said, well, we're going to put such a high fee on it. Bayern Munich will never, ever do that. And, um, (laughs) Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich phoned Leipzig and said, like, look, we'll give you 10 million. And Leipzig said jokingly, no, no, we want 30. And then Bayern said, uh, they thought that was the end of it, and that's when the press conferences happened with like, oh yeah, we're not gonna let him go. It's like a significant fee. Like they're never gonna do it because they thought, okay, well, this is COVID. They like, no one is gonna spend this kind of money on a head coach. Well, Bayern did phone back, <laughs> and they came up with a second offer that was 20 million. And then Leipzig said jokingly, well, what how about 25? And then that Bayern said, well, with bonuses. And then, what are you gonna tell your head coach at this stage? It's like. There's a club willing to pay 25 million euros for you, but we said no. You can't do that, right? Not after you made promises. And um, there's all sorts of stories that Dietrich Mateschitz, the the owner of Red Bull, actually called, who was was friends with uh, Oli Hurnes, right, the former president who still sits on the board, and Bayern Munich, and called them and said, like, look, you can't do this. You can't just take our head, you can't just take our best defender and our head coach. And Dietrich Mateschitz, for the record, is is not pleased about what happened. But I think the bottom line was that Bayern Munich wanted Nagelsmann and they paid a lot of money for him. And Leipzig, in the end of the day, said, yeah, OK, um, we'll give you that. And um, we we'll give you Obermann counter, too, because, you know, we don't yeah. have really have a choice on it. But with FFP gone and you know, financial situations looking very different. We might also work it a little bit differently now going forward, which of course will make a diff- very interesting storyline. Mints love saying on the press conference, when Nagelsmann was announced that they now want to push Bayern and Nagelsmann all the way for every title in Germany. I think they meant that. And I think it comes from the very top, um, you know, from very top of the Red Bull ownership because they they were not pleased about this, but look, Nagelsmann is an excellent head coach. Um, Do I think he is the finished product yet? No, I do not. I think there was many instances this year where we saw that. Did Bayern Munich get the man that they always wanted? Yes, they did. Um, Did they necessarily get the right head coach? I think long term, yes. Uh, Short to medium term, I think we'll have to see.
1: I want to ask a bit more about how how Nagelsmann will do at Bayern in your opinion, but I wanted to ask you, since we're sort of on this topic about Leipzig, I asked you earlier about Bayern Munich and sort of the issues still to be dealt with at boardroom level with some of the backroom issues. I want to ask the same question about Leipzig, because as you've already indicated, there was at least a decent amount of hesitation to this move, because if you lose Upamecano to Bayern Munich and then you lose your manager, you're pretty much saying they are a superior team to us, they are a bigger team. And Bayern Munich are, you look at their history, they are mm. the biggest team in Germany. But simultaneously, if you're trying to chip away at that reputation, at that sort of image, that status, losing your best player and your best coach to them does not accomplish that. So much so, I believe I read that their sporting director has gone. How much turbulence is, is there at uh, Leipzig right now?
2: Yeah, um Markus Grosche is gone. Yeah, and, I didn't
1: want to pronounce his name. I left that to you. Um,
2: <laughs> and they, I did do quite a bit of research on that, and I think he was just not the right man for that role. I think they wanted someone with a bigger, more international reputation and better contacts in international football. So I think he would have been gone either way. Um, he's going to Frankfurt now, and, and it's going to be interesting to see what he's going to be able to do there. But... Yeah, that's, that's definitely happen, Right, Leipzig are going to um, reposition themselves because the optics were bad. I mean, I cover the Bundesliga and I like to defend the Bundesliga and I like to defend the competitiveness of the Bundesliga. Um, but it gets hard when Bayern Munich do this, right? And uh, the optics of this are very bad. Um, and you don't follow the league full time and you just see Bayern Munich basically wrestling off the Mecano and um, their closest competitor's head coach doesn't look good. And it's not good for the Bundesliga as a whole um, when it comes to international optics. I think those people would more closely follow the league. They understand the nuances of it a little bit better, but even they would say, well, okay, this isn't great. And, and if there's one thing that Red Bull and the makers of Red Bull, and it is a massive marketing machine, don't make any mistakes of that, do not like its bad optics, right? They do not like bad optics. Red Bull is not someone who likes to come second. And, I mean, I've pointed towards the Formula One team that, yeah, is is lagging behind Mercedes, but they are competing with Mercedes. I've pointed at Red Bull Salzburg, a team that's dominant in Austria. Um, you look at all the other ventures, they, very, they have a couple of hockey teams that do very well um, as well. So, you know, Red Bull is not in this to be second to Bayern Munich. That's just not 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 how Mateschitz, the owner of Red Bull ticks. He he doesn't want that. Because Red Bull is not a product for losers. It's a product for athletes that win, right? And I think the optics of this were really bad. And I'm I'm you know from what I'm hearing, he's not pleased about how those optics were. And I am pretty sure that we're going to see um Leipzig being repositioned quite a bit i think there's going to be a turnover there now i mean there's a new head coach coming in who we both know quite well um there is i i think a sporting director of a high profile going to come in and i think there is also going to be some new players and um you know it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it because make no mistake like leipzig don't exist to be second to Bayern. that's that wasn't the idea behind this project they knew it would take time um, they knew that it, they wouldn't be able to do it overnight, but the, the end product of this is to be like Bayern Munich. You know, They were always quite frank about this from the very beginning, and they considered this is more than just a hiccup. The optics are just terrible.
1: I want to talk a little bit more about what Leipzig will do and what they have already done. I want to get to that later because I want to go back to a few different things. I want to start with two kind of general things. The first would be... The paying of transfers for managers seems to have become more of a norm, at least in the Bundesliga of late. Am I correct in saying that Leipzig were one of the early leaders in that when they spent money to bring Nagelsmann to the club in the first place?
2: Yeah, you see it more and more, don't you? I mean, yes, they did pay €5 million at the time, right, Um, which was a record. and. Then this year we've seen the record for many times. Yeah. Um, Gladbach um, they paid a, quite a high fee to get the Rose from from um, Salzburg in the first place. And then they paid seven and a half million to get Adi Hütter from Frankfurt to replace Rose, who was paid out to go to Dortmund for another five million. I think we see it more and more, and I think it's actually a development that in my opinion makes sense because you know this is the most important position at at your club it's the 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 role of the head coach is quite different in Germany than it is in England where the manager is sort of a person that does all sorts of stuff right in Germany the head coach is is mostly in charge of training players making the selections and has some 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 input into player transfers which can lead to controversy like we saw with Hansi Flick. But I think it makes sense because head coaches are very, very important for clubs orientation and um, setting goals where it becomes tricky in my opinion. And this is this whole Julian Nagelsmann fee. What if it does go wrong? What if Nagelsmann doesn't work out in the first year? Um, I don't think so, but it's possible How are you going to recuperate 25 million euros? You know, it's not like when Bayern Munich had Renato Sanchez and that transfer Mm -hmm. didn't work out and they, they were still able to sell him for 25 20, 20 million plus bonuses and got a huge chunk of the fee. They still had a loss, but they still got a lot back, right? Um, that's not the case here. So what do you do in that instance? It's definitely a risk. I mean, Dortmund paid a significant amount of money for both Bosch. And Faber, granted, Faber was there for three years, but you know what happens when when you lose the head coach that you paid a lot of money for, and then you have you have to you have to pay them out, right, as well. So not only is there the transfer fee if it doesn't when when doesn't work out, then you also have to pay out the rest of the salary. It's not like a player that you can then just sell. Um, So it's it's an interesting development, and I'm curious to see what sort of mechanisms are actually in contracts for for head coaches that cost a lot of money, because imagine imagine Nagelsmann doesn't work out, you paid the 25 million, and then on top of that, um, you have to pay out his contract, which is significant in Bayern Munich, you know, over five years. Um, yeah, how do you recuperate that? And that's maybe the only thing where I have a little bit of hesitation when it comes to transfer fees for head coaches.
1: And then the other confusing aspect of all this is that it's all happening mid-season, which is a thing that I I know you have been asked about before, we've been asked about before. We may even have discussed it on the show before, but I'd like to have that discussion again uh, for people who didn't hear that or are wondering it themselves. Why do these announcements seem to happen in the middle of the season? Why is it that Bayern Munich are always signing a player in February or March from arrival for next season? Uh, That does seem to be a thing that is... Not necessarily unique to Germany, but happens a lot more often there than anywhere else, at least in my mind.
2: Yeah, German clubs do their business early. Um they always have. I think it's it's a mechanism that's due to them needing to be early before the the, the big finance the big big powerhouses in England wake up, you know, with their unlimited transfer fees that they can spend. Um at least before COVID. I mean, I think it's going to be very different after COVID, but um before COVID, so I think German clubs just like to get their business done early because they want to. When the season, when when match day 34 hits, the season is over. They want to have most of their planning already done for the for the following year. Um, a term that Germans love um, is Planungssicherheit, planning security. It's really hard to translate. Mm-hmm. Planungssicherheit, you know, to be to have sort of already a foundation laid for the future and. Germans are very conservative people. You you may have you may have noticed when you visited there, but you know so um, like. that can be a good thing. It can be also a really bad thing. I think the, it, it goes both ways, right? It, it it leads to power structures that are very much firm, um, which is why the Bundesliga right now has a competitive issue. It can lead to clubs saying no to the Super League, which is great, and it also leads to this. <laughs> it leads to clubs doing their business very early on because. They don't want to fuss around in August with late transfers. It still happens, right? Because injuries and so on. But clubs want to have the foundation of their business done by the end of the season, so that when they go into the summer and they plan the, the training camps, they can they know who's going to be there, they know who's going to be in charge, and it's something that's really important. Planungssicherheit is something that you hear a ton in, in the vocabulary in in interviews and when you speak to head coaches or managers in in German football. It's quite fascinating. I mean, uh, there was a very interesting one. We joked about it in the office the other day because uh, Hamburgers, VW in the second division, they said, well, because of lack of planungssicherheit, they don't know who they're going to sign now because they don't know if they're going to be in the Bundesliga or the second Bundesliga. You wouldn't hear that kind of term anywhere else, right? Like if you get promoted to the Bundesliga, if you get promoted from the championship in the Premier League, everyone would be like just celebrating for a couple of weeks. And then they would maybe slowly start putting their players together. Um, In Germany... If they don't have that security in May, they freak out.
1: Is there not an element of disruption, though? Or is that just me being conspiratorial? Because to me, if you're in a title race, which I think Byron were when the – or like roughly a title race when the Opamikano news uh, broke or was first made public, it does also feel a little bit like you are sort of actively disrupting – those around you. Same thing for Borussia Dortmund. Not just trying to make it a Bayern issue, but Dortmund hiring Marco Rosa and that becoming public. We've seen how that's gone for Gladbach. It does seem like some of these moves do then lead to instability at the clubs where the coaches or players are departing.
2: Yeah, and it trickles down, right? It goes down the pyramid. And yeah. You have you have it at you have it at um, well Gladbach started it. No, sorry, Dortmund started it. Um, so Dortmund fired the head coach. Yeah. They didn't go after Rose. Um, Rose signs. Gladbach's season goes to the pooper. Sorry for my French, but <laughs> that's essentially what happened, yeah. right? Um, then Gladbach go after Adi Hutter. Um, lots of debate back and forward. Eventually Hutter signs, and now Frankfurt, who very much seems secure in the Champions League position, have to kind of worry about it again. Yeah, and then of course, I mean, um, the whole the whole thing with with Bayern signing Uber Mekano, I, I think we all knew he was going to leave. So I don't think Leipzig were too bothered about it. They, I want to take that transfer out a little bit because I think they knew that Uber Meccano was going to be gone. I mean, they, they restructured his contract in a way that um, they would have him for one more year. And I think essentially they don't care where he goes. And Leipzig have signed his replacements already, right? they signed his replacements before the Uber Mekar to Bayern transfer was announced and and Mohamed Simakan from Strasbourg and um, Josko Vadiol from Dinamo Zagreb who was already on the contract all this year but stayed in Zagreb for the season so they have the players already lined up um, I don't think Leipzig were too worried about it but it does cause a significant amount of disruption this this need to have the next season already planned ahead of time um to ensure that you have an understanding of what your squad looks like kind of leads to this trickle-down effect that your current season can go really sideways.
0: This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash courtside to learn more. Uh,
1: for Bayern, their season has not gone fully sideways, I would say, and they have done their, their, their planning, their fancy German planning. Uh they've brought in Nagelsmann, but you mentioned what happens if it doesn't work out, and I want to talk about that for a second because You said earlier the head coach is the most important position. And then I think also earlier noted that Bayern Munich tend to be a club that prioritizes the players over the manager. So do you see conflict coming for Nagelsmann? Do you see issues on the horizon? Do you see players who don't necessarily fit his system? I ask because at Leipzig, they have a style they want to play. He fits that style. They spend the money to bring him in. They essentially are giving him carte blanche to do what he wants to do to make this team work. I doubt he's getting that same level of freedom at Bayern, but simultaneously a five-year deal also communicates that he's getting a lot of freedom and a lot of backing. So I don't quite know where I am on that one, and I'm wondering what you think could be some problem areas or if there is anything that he needs to deal with right away when Nagelsmann takes over at Bayern.
2: Yes, man, it, I, I'm I'm looking forward to this so much because I, I, I can't wait for the soap opera. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be so fascinating because Nagelsmann is a type A personality. And and I've met Nagelsmann. I've had controversial discussions with him at the press conferences. He likes to discuss topics and um quite controversially with journalists during press conferences, like right in the open, right? Where it goes back and forward. And um over the smallest little details. I once had a, a controversial discussion with him about the difference between being efficient and effective. Um I got a marketing lesson from him at a press conference in front of uh, another 50 journalists, believe it or not. But that's actually happened. And You know, he does that. Can you imagine what he does in the boardroom? Um, It's it's going to be, I think, very interesting. And yeah, I think it's um, when it comes to the players that he's going to have. um, It's going to be interesting to see how he's going to fit in with in a room full of other type a personalities. saying like, how are you going to tell Robert Lewandowski that the way you're playing is maybe not right um, are you going to yeah. fuss with that or not are you going to all of a sudden you know change the way Thomas Muller is playing I mean good luck with that like the, the best thing you can do with Thomas Muller is not to tell him anything just let him play because it makes no sense right um are you going to tell Manuel Neuer to distribute his ball differently <laughs> I mean good luck I, I just don't I don't see it um so that's, that's, that's going to be an interesting one. I think the younger players are going to buy very much into it. I mean, you have someone like Alfonso Davies. I think he's going to make an enormous jump under Nagelsmann because he's going to probably change the, the way Bayern Munich play a little bit, right? He, he likes to have progressive wing backs. Um, you see Angelino, what he's done with Angelino. I think someone like Alfonso Davies will benefit from that a lot. I think Serge Gnabry, Leroy Sané, those younger guys, they will benefit from, from him being there. Quite a bit. Um, where you worry is the the old guard, right? Someone like Lewandowski, someone like Müller, someone like Neuer. Are they going to necessarily buy into it? Um, and that's going to be very interesting to watch and follow and see what happens with that. And um, I'm also curious to see just how the interaction is going to be between Nagelsmann and someone like Oliver Kahn, who was very much behind signing. Um, Nagelsmann in the first place. Don't, those who don't know, Oliver Kahn is the former legendary Bayern Munich goalkeeper who is now going to be the new CEO of the club going forward as of next season, replacing Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, right? So how is that interaction going to be like when things go wrong? How? What's going to happen with Hassan Salihamidzic? What if Nagelsmann doesn't agree with a transfer like Flick did, who was very much diplomatic about it? I don't think you see the same thing with Nagelsmann. There's a lot going on there, and it's going to be very interesting to see how that all will play out.
1: There's a lot going on at Bayern. I'm assuming there's also a lot going on at Leipzig, aside from Open Makano leaving, Jesse Marsh arriving. Are there other players you think that will be sold uh, before Jesse Marsh gets to uh, play them in an actual game?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of talk about um, the club ending their relationship with Alexander Serlot. You know, the the marquee striker that they signed from yeah. Trapsom Spore and never quite worked out. I think they tried to replace Timo Werner maybe by changing the style of play and um, bring in a different forward, a different kind of player. And it just that was a mistake. <laughs> it really was. I think that that was a huge mistake because I think if, if Leipzig had had the right striker this year, they would have won the title. Right. There were so many games where they gave up points and they would have beaten Liverpool as well, I think. And this is maybe where I also kind of go back a little bit and say, like, you also saw in those games that Nagelsmann wasn't quite the finished product um, in terms of getting the job done in important key games, even though he, in my opinion, had maybe the better players or the the more players available than sometimes his opponents. Liverpool was beatable, in my opinion. Bayern Munich was also beatable when they played each other. Uh, Bayern Munich gave away a lot of points. In a normal year, you you have to take that opportunity and win the title. So it's going to be a little bit different under Jesse Marsh, I think, because Jesse. um I know Jesse quite well. Uh, I think he's the right choice. I, I know he wasn't a straightforward choice. I know there was a lot of talk about, oh, this is like a straightforward coronation. I know for a fact it wasn't. I know there was other candidates that Leipzig looked at and at some point even favored um, Oliver Glasner as one from Wolfsburg right um, at the end of the day i think it came down to promises made and decisions that made that were made in the past and that you know also the fact that Jesse Marsch is i think the right decision um, to, to guide this club forward because you will see Leipzig go back a little bit towards that Red Bull style that we saw under Ralf Hasenhüttl and Ralf Rangnick and i think you see going to see them play a more straightforward vertical game um, than you have seen under Nagisman. There will not be as much possession for possession's sake. Um, there will be more of that kind of power football that you see Salzburg play. And Salzburg played very successfully with you know a lot more limitations in terms of finances, including in the Champions League, right? And I think you will see um, I revert to that and I think it will suit Leipzig better and it might even get them better results, even though Nagasman I think is like this prodigy, right? So it's going to be interesting to see, and I think Serlot is one who could be gone. I mean I've heard I've heard that Leipzig really won Patson on Daka from Salzburg, and we know what the connection is like between those two clubs. Um, you know, if Leipzig won Patz on Daka, they're going to get Patson on Daka. Um, because the, the the communication between those two clubs is quite direct, and I think that is a, is an excellent choice. It, it will fix it will fix a lot of the problems that they had um, in the in that role as a striker. And interestingly enough, Nagelsmann is actually paying for that transfer because that that twenty twenty five million is probably <laughs> about what they're officially going to 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 pay for. You know, when Leipzig go and shake hands with Salzburg, they, that that's going to be the official transfer fee um so that's one player i think who's going to come in and and then there's a few players there that when when you look at Hishan wong who played under marsh in salzburg and did quite well there i think he's going to probably look forward to get his career resurrected Um, another one is justin kluivert there's now talk that he's actually going to stay because he's the perfect jesse march kind of player right and nagelsmann never got the best out of him so um, a player there's talk now that he could stay, and yeah, I, I am really looking forward to it. I mean, Dominic Sobos-Lay, who would sign from Salzburg. We never seen because he's been hurt. Mm. Um, he was excellent under Jesse Marsh as well in Salzburg, and I think that, that he is a player that is going to benefit enormously from uh, Marsh going going to Leipzig.
1: Uh, you mentioned uh, Guardiola and Simakan that they've already signed. That being two center backs has me wondering: Are they just trying to double replace Upamakano, or do you think we might also see uh, Ibrahim Konate also on the move?
2: So a lot of talk about Ibrahim Konate, isn't uh-huh. there? Um, uh, supposedly a transfer agreed with Liverpool. Um, yeah, that's been denied by the Konate camp, but. Uh, we all know that denial means very little in this business. (laughs) I mean, I know that Caden Clark is going to, from New York Red Bulls to Leipzig, and that that transfer has been denied. They denied Tyler Adams back in the day as well, and it happened. Uh, Kata was also denied many months, and it happened. I mean, I wouldn't pay too much attention to it. Uh, Look, Ibrahima Konaté is a very good player, but I think he's only featured about 20% of all games available because he has a lot of injury problems, and yeah, I think Seemar Khan and Guardiola are coming in. Uh, there's a reason why they signed two players that can play center back. Although Guardiola is apparently a bit more comfortable in a left back role, um, but can also play as a left center back. So, you know, it, interesting. I think I always say with transfers, they're not 100% official until the guy holds up the, sh- the shirt at the press conference, right? Um, and when that happens, and it's the same for Dhaka, by the way, right? Um just want to throw that out there, too. That transfer is not official until it's official.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And the same is true for Konate. Um, I think there is very strong indication that he is going to Liverpool. So if you're listening to this podcast, I, I'm hearing the same as guys like for Pizzi Romano. Or, um, there's a couple of other sources that have reported of it that this is a deal that's been very much agreed on. But um, keep in mind, too, that Konate has a very long injury history. And a long injury history can be reason for a transfer to fail.
1: And how much pressure do you think there's going to be on Jesse Marsh? Because if the club is already worried about not looking like winners, they want to be perceived as as title challengers, as teams that will be comfortably making the Champions League and doing well in the Champions League, how much time will Jesse Marsh get if things don't start like like off on flying colors like is he are they the type to give him at least a year or do you think they'll pull the trigger if things don't go well i'm not trying to be negative i'm just wondering what his exact sort of situation is
2: yeah this is his biggest challenge yet certainly without adopt without adopt i mean um I spoke briefly to Jesse when the transfer became official and uh, wished him the best of luck. And I don't think he needs it because I think he's very highly qualified. There was a great video on um, his work that was pushed out. can't remember the name, but it's on on my Twitter feed and I, I retweeted it because it really underlines what he does. And I do think he is very much suited to the role. But it's not New York Red Bulls and it's not Salzburg. It's now Leipzig and That means you have to compete against one of the world's biggest clubs. You have to compete against the Borussia Dortmund side that we're probably not too happy about this year. Right. And that's a very different challenge. And I think, too, that the expectations will be that he keeps developing the project that Nagosman leaves behind. And so you're stepping into enormous footsteps. And I think that's a very different challenge than, than what he faced in the past. Like all of a sudden, you know, he was groomed for this role for a long time. He was first at New York, then he went to Leipzig as an assistant. So he knows that this is actually a huge benefit for him because he knows what to expect at the club, right? Went to Salzburg, was hugely successful at Salzburg, developed players, you know that was that's the main role there, yes, do you have to win the Austrian title? Yes, you have to win the cup, and he did both two times i mean he hasn't quite wrapped up the Austrian championship, but he will, so he's done that twice and um developed the likes of Soboslai, Haaland, um Daka, all those players you know made a significant step forward under him and this is now no longer about developing players for another club. This is about winning silververse in one of the four best leagues in the world and I think this is going to be a very big challenge for him. But I, I think from speaking to Jesse, I think he's someone who's relishing that role. And I think he's doing going to do quite well in that role. And I wish him all the success in the world. And I think I'm really looking forward to what he's going to do with this club and what changes he's going to make. But make no mistakes. This is going to be very difficult.
1: And that brings us to, I think, the final uh, segment of the merry-go-round, at least for now, uh, which would be Salzburg. Uh, who do you think or who, who have you heard might be uh, interested in that job or might be considered for that one? Or is it just sort of too early to tell?
2: Oh, no, they've already signed a
1: replacement. Have they? I've been looking at I hadn't seen. Okay, tell me more. Yeah, yeah.
2: They signed um, Matthias Gaisler, who is currently in charge of – oh, man, I have to be so careful with my language – because uh, you know that you know that I I I have I'm going to work with Salzburg actually tonight so let's frame this the right way um they signed him from FC Liefering who may or may not be a farm team from Salzburg and his name <laughs> is Matthias Jaisle and Matthias Jaisle has has you know he's already in the system so they're essentially promoting from within which isn't too surprising because not only do Red Bull produce A lot of very interesting players, but they also produce a lot of interesting head coaches. I mean, look at the Bundesliga at the moment, right? So bear with me here. Oliver Glasner, Rose, Nagelsmann, Marsh, Adi Hütter. um, I think there's probably a couple more. Oh, Bo Svensson from Mainz. They all have worked in the Red Bull Salzburg setup at one point or another. So... This is, this is this is a club that is very good at not just producing players and bringing them through the system. They're also very good at identifying new head coaches and developing them as well and giving them sort of a platform to succeed. In. And I guess Matthias Geisler is the next one. So keep an eye on him. He's previously worked in, in Leipzig's youth setup, then in the U17. He went briefly to uh, Brandby, then he worked in the Salzburg's U18, and then took over of what may or may not be uh, Red Bull Salzburg's farm team in Austria, I'm FCD for Ring, and he's now going to be the new head coach as of next season.
1: Uh, one of my biggest pieces of, of advice for him as he takes over is to improve their SEO performance because every search for Red Bull Salzburg new manager, Red Bull Salzburg Jesse Marsh replacement is just Jesse Marsh replacing Nagelsmann at Leipzig. The first site I think that I could find that even mentioned they had hired somebody would be TransferMarkt. So well done, Manuel. That's you guys who yeah, I, I, had I, I a put brief little text. thing in there.
2: I definitely put it in the text because I didn't <laughs> think it was interesting because Oliver Glasner was actually also in talks with Salzburg. Mm-hmm.
1: That would be point. a weird
2: move. Yes, could still end. I mean, last year. he has most in the Champions League. What? Yeah, <laughs> but he could also be on the move.
1: All right, interesting. Yeah. All right. Brandon Aronson is interested, is, is listening, I'm sure, intently. Uh, I do want to ask you, speaking of Brandon Aronson, uh, about a couple of Americans. Actually, I want to ask you a general question. The season is ongoing, so this is a bit premature. But uh, I was on Club and Country uh, with Andrew Wiebe and uh, David Goss. We were talking about the most successful Americans this season, uh, the ones who are playing abroad. I wanted to ask you about the most successful Americans in the Bundesliga this season and who you think, maybe the the couple players or couple people, I should say, who you Think had the most success over the course of the season. I say people instead of players because I think Pellegrino Matarazzo is maybe in there with a shout. But I'd like to hear your perspective on that one.
2: I'm glad you brought up Pellegrino. Uh, he we was always also, forget to bring him up on the show. He was and I. also a candidate for Leipzig. Yeah, that's uh, right. That's right. Mm, so he was actually a very strong candidate at Leipzig. He's done a phenomenal job in Stuttgart. I, I think. Um, think Pellegrino. Um, he does not have a red Bull pass, but he is a former assistant of Julian Nagelsmann. Yeah. So keep an eye on that um, because they're very similar. Uh, and he's done a phenomenal job at Stuttgart. I think the entire Stuttgart setup um, has been phenomenal this year. The, the way that they, they've gone and um, identified talent. And um, is, it plays a big role there. The former Arsenal Borussia Dortmund Head of scouting, um, is now um, sporting director role there. He's doing a fantastic work identifying players. Um, they they kind of petered off a little bit towards the end of the season, which um, when you when you lose players like Vamagi uh, Tuka, right, um, who's been a revelation, and but Pellegrino has done such a great job, um, putting together a team there, playing a style of football that's very, very fun to watch and. You know, emphasizes development, but also emphasizes putting a product on the field that just works. And I think it's never been this quiet when it comes to Stuttgart's head coaching role ever since I won this league, um, which speaks for him as well. So I think when you say quiet, do you mean you know the coverage I... of it or do you mean that like there, yeah, there isn't the a ton of, of like this
1: guy's getting sacked next week sort of coverage?
2: Yeah, exactly, and that's usually you know if you're a head coach, it's usually yeah. um, sometimes it's a good thing if you're not in the news. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it means you're doing a good job, and in Stuttgart that's definitely the case. Uh, they have gone through a lot of head coaches, and that's not been discussed ever this year, right? I mean, there was never a point in time where Stuttgart looked like a site that would, would be in danger. You know, we have to remember they're promoted. They never, never, we we never had anything negative to say, and. Um, they did not look like a team that was promoted. They, they played fantastic football. And yeah, that's a hundred percent up to him. And I think, you know, just it's hard to look beyond that in terms of what Americans have done in German football. And, um, definitely would probably underline his performances the most. Um, I'm always someone who also likes to bring up Tyler Adams. Um, mm-hmm. You know you know I'm a big Tyler Adams fan. I do know that. Yeah, and it's because like, it's similar to Pellegrino Matarazzo. He kind of flies under the radar a little bit, doesn't he? Because he just does his job so well. You just know that you can put him in any position, anywhere on the field, and he, he just does his job. And on top of that, whenever you do speak to him, he's one of the most personable, nicest people in, in German football, period. Um, I, I, always enjoy when I have the chance to speak to Tyler Adams to, you know, you're going to get something out of it, right? You go know, you when you have an interview schedule with Tyler Adams is like, yeah, you're going to, this is going to be gold. And, uh, it's because he's frank, but he also does his job really well. Um, so like, I think, I think those two would be the ones that I want to underline the most, mostly because they've been unheralded, mm-hmm. um, the most as well. Right. Um, there's been all sorts of other performance. I mean, I think, uh, it's Giovanni Reina had had times this year where he was very good, but he had times where he wasn't. Um, He very much reflect reflection of the Borussia Dortmund season. Josh Sargent. um, Yeah, I mean, Werder is not looking great at the moment. And, you know, that's that with all that in mind. Yeah, let's give give the gold star to Pellegrino and Tyler, shall we? Sure,
1: sure. Uh, We should probably also mention John Brooks briefly, just because I think we also always fail to mention him. And he's another one who Wolfsburg currently, what, third? I think he deserves a little bit of credit, a little bit of credit at least.
2: Could be playing in the Champions League next year, right? Just without a manager. Yeah, well, we don't know who's the manager there yet. Um, (laughs) It's been quiet. Uh, We think it's been now almost a week since we had our last coaching change in the Bundesliga
1: uh do we have do we have a new manager at frankfurt yet or is that still undet- undetermined as well
2: yeah here in glasner but um You know, uh, let me check my phone. Maybe something happened in the last
1: hour. I I asked to set up this question. So let's say Glasner does go to Salzburg for whatever reason. So we have a vacancy at Wolfsburg. We have a vacancy at Frankfurt. If we were to have a vacancy at Hertha, if Pellegrino Monterazzo were getting job offers from all of those three, would you advise him to take one from whichever club or would you advise him to stay uh, and continue to work with Stuttgart?
2: Oh man, that's an interesting question. Because like, he could get a job off of someone like Wolfsburg, mm-hmm. right? If Glasner ends up going to Frankfurt, um there's also that there's also that uh, big vacancy at Berlin mm-hmm. if Dadai doesn't stay. Ah, it's a it's a tricky one. I mean <laughs> um It seems like the merry-go-round is kind of crazy at the moment, and head coaches are jumping at this opportunity in German football to do change the scenery. So I don't want to rule anything out. I think Pellegrino Materazza has an exit clause of two and a half million euros, which of course means the power is with him.
1: There we are. All right. Uh, final question for you before we call it a day. We do have uh, the new manager coming into Dortmund who are still hopeful they will make the Champions League. Right now they are one point behind Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, but presuming they do, or it doesn't even matter if they do, what do you think Marco Rosa's arrival and his style will mean for Gio Reyna? Because uh, he's another player who I think we often don't talk about. Like when Joe and I do our Americans Abroad Review we talk about him every now and then, but he's certainly not included as consistently as Serginho Dest or even Yunus Musa, certainly Tyler Adams. So I'm wondering if you think the arrival of a new manager and maybe the departure of Jaden Sancho, if that ends up happening, how strong of a season or how good of a position do you think Giorena could be in starting next season?
2: Yeah, so if Sancho leaves, and that's, that's not a given, mm-hmm. um, they has Dortmund now release the parameters um to a selected amount of press including myself of what a transfer would have to look like right um just below 100 million euros with bonuses it could go to 100 and um, has to be done at a certain time like has to be done before deadline day so that they have time to bring someone in um but there's no hard deadline like there was last year um Going to be interesting to see if anyone has that sort of money I think that's that's a that's a bigger question here, but let's presume Sancho does leave this year um, and I think there's a good chance then yeah, I mean that was always how Dortmund did things right I mean someone leaves, and yeah, I think they're going to probably sign a replacement uh, uh, Nodi um from p s v was mentioned in the media today i may I, you know it's the first time I hear of it, but sure, why not? Um, I think there's a few other names in there as well that Dortmund are looking at, but there's also the idea that, that someone from within will step up, right? And that someone from within will be Gio Reina. He will have to step up next year and, um, you know, help fill fill that hole. How Marco Rosa will plan with them, it's going to be interesting to see because his style at Gladbach was, was very different with almost playing with three center forwards at a time, right? And And whether he's going to do something similar in Dortmund, Um, where Erling Haaland is such an overpowering figure in the attack, um, so much so that Dortmund's scoring has actually gone down, right, because it's so dependent on him. It's going to be interesting to see how he does incorporate all these elements and what he does with the players that are available to him and how Gio Reyna will fit into this is going to be interesting to see and whether Marco Rose is the answer to the... Dortmund finally finding a replacement for your for for Klopp, right? That that shadow is still very much hanging over the club and it feels like that Borussia Dortmund like PSG have missed the boat on firing Tuchel a little bit too early and you know still trying to look to get this replacement in for for Jurgen Klopp who they never really replaced and um, it's going to be interesting to see if Rose is the one who can do it. Uh, I think he's definitely certainly charismatic enough. But is he going to be able to play this high-power football that he played at Salzburg and, you know, um, at times at Klappbach? Is that going to be translatable to Borussia Dortmund? I don't know. Um, It's an interesting question. And the question is, too, will he be given the resources to make it work? Mm -hmm. And that's always a very important question as well, right? Um, Because Dortmund have done a lot right over the entire period that Watskin Sorg were in charge. But you do get a sense that in the last couple of years they have done a lot wrong. And um, that is something that I think that Dortmund definitely have fallen behind Leipzig in the development. And whether Rosa is going to be the one that kind of reverses that and kind of re-elevates Borussia Dortmund to the status of the second biggest club in Germany a club that can finally challenge Bayern. And I think we need more than one team challenging Bayern for Bayern to finally lose a title. Um, it can't be just one. It has to be many, right? They, Bayern Munich have to go to three or four different places in Germany and lose for it to happen. And we need a strong Dortmund in this league, and I hope Marco Rose uh, can do it. And um, I hope that Gio Reyna can stabilize his performances, that he showed, a, he showed a glimpses last year, how what a special player he is, what a special talent he is. And I hope that Rosa gives him the freedom to develop um and give him some consistency.
1: I very much hope for that as well. Uh we have gone long as we tend to do, so I will ask you these final couple questions in yes or no format. Uh if you're taking your best guess, Manuel, uh is Jaden Sancho playing for Bruzia Dortmund next season?
2: Mm, I would say no.
1: Is Erling Holland playing for Bruzia Dortmund next season? I would say yes. Is Chris Richards playing for Bayern Munich at all next season?
2: No, he will be in Hoffenheim.
1: Okay. Uh, is Marcel Sabitzer playing for RB Leipzig next season? Uh, I think yes. Okay. And the final one I have seen zero speculation about him. Maybe I've missed news. I've already done it today, so it stands to reason I could have done it again. I don't even know how to say his name properly. Is Veg Veghorst staying at Wolfsburg next season?
2: Oh. Oh man, I feel like Ruud that's is, the one that made you think the longest. Wood <laughs> he's been such a controversial. Vuk. Is it Wood? Wood Okay, yeah, he's he is the guy who uh shared Instagram posts about anti-vaxxing. Um, hey. yeah, it's not right. you know, maybe not the right time, uh, the right pandemic for this, not so much now. Um, yeah, Woot, Woot, Woot. Um, <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what Wolfsburg will do with him, because he's he's very good on the field. He's he's a good striker, prolific striker, but um, not very controversial off the field. And I think if someone pays the right amount of money for him, I think they say happily, goodbye, Woot.
1: So we have uh, goodbye, Woot, potentially, goodbye, Sancho, goodbye, Chris Richards, but Haaland and Sabitzer staying put. Does that sound right?
2: Yeah, I know that Sabitzer is in contract negotiations okay. with Leipzig, so um, I, I think there's a good chance that he's going to stay. Of
1: course he is, because whenever the stories come out about how he's been linked and he's long admired the Premier League, that usually means his agents are leaking news, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> and with Haaland, I mean, ah, you we're going to have so many stories about a transfer this summer. Yep. I mean, tons, um, tons. um, But... I've been told, and uh, that's from the same people that told me last year about Sancho, that uh, a transfer, if someone wants to really buy him, it has to be for 150 million euros or more, and Dortmund really don't want to sell him. They're happy to let him go next year when his clause kicks in, which is between 70 and 100 million euros, depending on who you listen to. And that's when the transfer is going to happen. And um, I've learned with the whole Sancho thing last year that you better believe what the sources that tell me, that you better believe it because it's going to be true.
1: On that note, I think that's a good note to end on, Manuel. Thank you so much for taking uh, all of the time to talk to me today. Uh, if people want to hear more from you or see more from you, how can they do so?
2: Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter um, at weff so M-A-N-U-E-L. V-E-T-H, um, I work for Transfermarkt full-time. So you can find most of my work on Transfermarkt.us, Transfermarkt.com, Transfermarkt.co.uk, depending from where you're listening to, right? So find a lot of my work and my transfer news, uh, especially my transfer news there. And um, I also do five columns a month on the Bundesliga for Forbes. So you can find me there as well.
1: There we are. All right. Well, thank you once again for, uh, for chatting with me today.
2: Oh, I've lost it every time. Um, Thanks for having me on, Tyler. Thanks, buddy.
1: (laughs) Listeners, thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you all again soon.